since we're going to be talking about prayer today, we better start out there. But I want you to have a moment of silence and pray where you're at. Pray that God prepare your heart, that you'll go away with truths that you can apply. We've got to really work on applying. If we keep storing the knowledge of scriptures in our mind, it doesn't get to our heart and change our feet where they walk and what our hands do. We're, we're playing games. So ask God to speak with us uh, for a minute, and then I'll open us in prayer. Father, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are soft. May we desire with all our heart to hear you speak. Not me, but you. And may Jesus Christ be lifted up during this time. In his name we pray. Amen. Turn your Bibles with me. We're going to be covering a lot of ground. I, I, I knew that God wanted me to speak on prayer, and I wanted to do the chapter out of my book, but there's so much background i got to lay to get it because it's out of the Old Testament as well. So God directed me to this passage, which has some real special meaning to me. And uh, it's when the Lord and two angels appeared to Abraham and Sarah, and that's where we'll get. And I want to start verse 9. And we'll read through the whole passage. We're not going to go through it word by word, but we're, this is going to be the crux of where we're going to be. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening in the, at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. And Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you. At this time next year, Sarah shall have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Then the men rose up from there and looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah has, is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly great. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry which has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from them and went towards Sodom, while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. Abraham came near and said, Wilt thou indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? 
But suppose there are fifty righteous within the city, and thou indeed sweep it away, and not spare the place for the sake of the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from thee to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike? Far be it from thee, should that should not the judge of all the earth deal justly? So the Lord said, If I find in Solomon fifty righteous in the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. And Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I, can, I'm, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose the fifty are lacking five. Without destroy the whole city because of five. He says, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. And he spoke to him again and said, Suppose forty are found there. He said, I will not do it if forty, on account of forty. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry and shall speak. Suppose thirty are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on the account of the twenty. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry and speak only this once. Suppose ten are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the ten. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abraham returned to his place. Now, I don't know about you, I like that passage. It challenged me years ago when I began ministry, and you'll see some of the things that we talk about. But let me lay some of the background. I had an email from one of the gentlemen that several years ago I led to the Lord and discipled, and and he's on my prayer team. I have uh, about 10 couples. See, 10 couples, that's all you need, 10 couples on my prayer team. And uh, when I get in a very difficult situations and things I know that the, I need some prayer of some saints, I contact them by email. I'll let them, here's the situation I need for you all to pray, and I'll let you know what happens afterwards. And I keep them informed. And so, uh, and my wife have been through some tough times, and that prayer team has been very valuable for her. We went through a, a youngest son involved in drugs. That prayer team was invaluable for us. It took 10 years for God to deliver him out of it. But they hung with us all the way. And so I sent out a, a note to my prayer team here recently. I says, well, I haven't heard from any of y'all, but if you have any requests... Let me know what it is so I can pray for you. And so I heard from one of them. I heard from actually two of them. But one of them, oh, yeah, I have something. I really need some prayer. My mother-in-law's health is not doing well. And I says, well, send me a, an email. Well, he sent me an email. There were 50 names of people he wanted me to pray for. Now I had disciple this guy, but I haven't been around him a while. And I haven't been able to disciple him in prayer. See, we've got to be disciple in prayer. Remember, disciples went to the Lord. Teach us how to pray. It's not something that comes easy to pray as God wants us to pray. And then there are those people who, if you're ever in a prayer meeting, everything they want to pray about is all about them. That's not what prayer is about. It's all about God and God's will. That's what it's about. 
And I remember uh, I ran into Bill Job's um, Bill Job um, a few weeks ago. He was here, and we were talking after church. And guess what we were talking about? Prayer. He saw all the fantastic things he saw in China because they started praying for every person in their company by name. By name. That's what prayer is. It's praying by name. It's not global, but it's by name. And we're going to see that also. But if you've gotten my prayer book, you will realize that there is one chapter written by Tozer. Prayer is no substitute for obedience. You have to be obedient before you can really pray correctly. If you don't have it, get it. And we'll touch on that as we go through. Years ago, I spent some time. I figured I wanted to know more about prayer. I was a prayer leading a big prayer thing in the city years ago. And so I studied the prayers of Abraham, Daniel, David, Nehemiah, all through the scriptures. It's phenomenal. If you ever have the time or make the time, God will really speak to you. And it's very rewarding in a lot of ways. But in the study of Abraham's life, as I was preparing this, there's something extremely unique that nobody pays attention to. Starting in Genesis 12 and moving up to just Genesis 18, the scriptures record that Abraham heard the voice of God seven times. It's over about ten years. I don't know about you. I couldn't go ten years just hearing God's voice seven times. That's what's so fantastic about Abraham's faith. He didn't have a lot of knowledge. He didn't have book knowledge. He had face knowledge as he talked and listened to the Lord. It was phenomenal faith. Seven times. Sarah's maid, Hagar, heard the voice of God once. Sarah, zero. She heard God's voice, zero. Now I'm sure she heard from Abraham, what God had spoken to him, but she never heard God's voice until we get to Genesis 18. Wow. And after Genesis, turn with me so we have a catcher, capture the right flavor. Genesis 16. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Notice the blame. Play the blame game. Christians do that all the time. Please go to my maid. Perhaps I shall have obtained children through her. And Abram 
Listen to the voice of Sarah. Abram did the same thing Adam did. Listen to the voice of Eve. And for 13 years, there's no record of conversations between Abraham and the Lord. So, let's look at the divine appointment that occurs in Genesis 18. We'll look at first with Sarah and then Abraham. God, the Lord said, I will surely return to you next year. For your wife shall bear a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door and laughed within herself. It wasn't a visual, it wasn't a, an audible laugh, just something, a laugh. And the Lord heard it. But he deals with it deals with her in grace and mercy. It was a laugh of unbelief. This is the first time she's heard the word Lord speak. A laugh of unbelief. But he corrects her in grace and mercy. And he says, is anything too difficult for the Lord? See, that's the thing. We ought to live with that mantra. There's nothing too difficult for him. If you'd hear some of the crazy things I'm afraid about, weather, fish, Cats, foxes, people, relatives, colleagues, students. There's nothing too difficult for him. But we seem to want to live a life without God being in the middle of it all. And that's not God's desire for us. It's not. There's nothing too, too little to pray about. I was in the elder meeting this week with the guys, and I had vertigo. And I get vertigo, I get it bad. My head's spinning, I can't talk. Sometimes I can't even make it to the bathroom. But I was committed to go to that meeting. And I made it known to the elders. I says, I'm having a hard time. I may have to leave early. But they prayed for me. Before that meeting was over, the vertigo was gone. It has never been gone that quick. See, we got to see the world. It's a spiritual battle. Everywhere we go, we got to see it differently. Only when we see it that way will we realize the victory that there is in Christ. So I'm going to call those guys next time I get vertigo. Because <laughs> it's knocked me out for days. And so he repeats the promise to Sarah. At this time, next year, I'll return and Sarah will have a son. It's interesting, she denies laughing, for she was afraid. His omniscience moves Sarah from unbelief to faith. Wow. Wow. And when you go to the scriptures in the New Testament, Sarah... Sarah is praised for her faith, but that faith really didn't start to hear. 
God needed Sarah and Abraham to be on the same page. And there's nothing more beautiful in a marriage when the man and woman are on the same page. Nothing. It's hard to get there sometimes, but it's a beautiful. And notice now what the Lord says to Abraham. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Interesting. Do you know the Old Testament has several comments that God hides? Isaiah 45, 15, Thou are a God who hides himself. Or if you go to John, uh, I think it's John, um, no, Luke 10, 21, Thou dost hide these things from the wise and intelligent, and reveals them to babes. God hides. Why? He wants us to seek him. He's not going to make it easy. If we really want to know him, we're going to have to seek him. And if we seek him, we'll find him. He's a God that hides. And why would God say this between him and the two angels that are with him? Abraham was listening. He wanted to see how Abraham was going to respond. And he makes the affirmation. He said, Abraham surely will become a great and mighty nation, and him all the nations of earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him. I have known him as a friend. There's the comment that occurs in James and several other places about Abraham being a friend of God. Wouldn't that be great? Do you know what friends do? They talk all the time. They share secrets all the time. That's what it is. And to be a friend of God is to have that same thing. It is sweet. But we seem to think, I can't be that kind of friend. Yeah, you can. And you have to be that kind of friend to pray as Abraham is going to pray. We can't do it unless we've got that kind of relationships. And so, the divine intentions in verses 20 and 21, let's read again. The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I will know. He didn't have to say that. Think about it. He knows already. He's omniscient. He knows He's pulling Abraham into the conversation. How are you going to respond? Are you going to pray? Or are you going to just hmm, let him go? God was interested in Abraham pressing on. And you've got to realize, if you go back to Genesis 14... Abraham had rescued Lot and these people from Sodom and Gomorrah about 10 years prior. So he knew some of these people. 
Now, they weren't buddy-buddy friends, but he knew them. And we always think about these people in Sodom and Gomorrah as just as wicked as can be. And they are. Ezekiel makes some interesting comments about them not caring for the poor and the widow. Never mentions the other sins. These people were wicked, not just in their activity, but their passivity. Everybody with me when I just said that? Not just in their activity, but ignoring that activity and being passive. We cannot be passive to evil. We are living in a culture, I came out of the 60s and 70s, a culture from the Vietnam War, and there was horrible things going on on campus. It was a great opportunity for the gospel. My wife came to know the Lord that time. My life turned around during that time. It was phenomenal opportunity. We have phenomenal opportunities for, for us, but we're not going to get them unless we pray. We're going to have to pray. Well, notice now, Abraham draws near. That's what the scripture says. And Abraham came near, or drew near, and said, in a prayer as a friend of God, God chose him. God had initiated this relationship. That's important. God always initiates. The problem is we don't recognize it. He does. Sometimes it takes some hard times for us to realize what he's trying to woo us and draw us. And if you remember Jesus' words from John 15, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Friendship. Obedience is a plus to that. And so Abraham's prayer starts with the character of God. We don't pray that way. We don't start with the prayer of God, with the character of God. We don't start there. We don't start with his omniscience, his omnipresence, his justice. And that's what Abraham brings up. He says, Wilt thou indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Far be it from thee. That's not the God I know, is what Abraham said. I don't know you like that. To slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and wicked are treated alike? That's not our God. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? And Abraham's right. He understood the character of God. That's how come Tozer's books, where he deals with the character of God, are so rich. I read them at least once a year because I need to be reminded of what God's character is like because it affects my prayer life. My prayer life is affected. And that's where Abraham retreated. 
And you need to understand, Abraham felt a real tension here. For he knew God was just, and he knew God was faithful, and he'd experienced that. But he also knows that God keeps his promises. So his request of God was looking for a promise to cling to. And so the second thing we see in this prayer is the compassion of Abraham. The compassion. He had rescued the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. He knew some of the people there. He, 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 he was familiar with them. And yet he showed compassion. I don't know that we show much compassion for those that are anti-God these days. I hate to see some people that are going to be in hell because we didn't pray for them, didn't reach out to them because they're different. We've got to have the compassion that Abraham got, that Jesus had. Jesus saw with compassion. We need to have that compassion. And then the third thing I think is phenomenal here in in Abraham's prayer, he says, I am but dust and ashes. What humility. We don't pray that way sometimes. Sometimes we pray like a rooster. Not seeing ourselves as dust and ashes. And fourth, we see Abraham prayed with boldness. He was bold. He was not bargaining with God at here at all. But he was praying that God would extend mercy to some as he had received mercy from the Lord. See, that's what influences our prayer. If we really understand the mercy that God has bestowed on, we don't deserve it. We never deserve it. We weren't born into it. If we really understood that mercy, we would be willing to extend mercy as we pray for people. And then the next thing we see, a persistence. Now, we're going to get some different perceptions here. He said, if they're 50, God said, yeah. 45, yeah. 40, 30, 20, 10. And finally, Abraham could live with 10. Now, that's persistence. But I want you to look at something a little different. Because it will affect your prayer life. From 50 to 45 was a difference of 5. So the percent change in his request was 5 over 50, which was 10%. His last request from 20 to 10, that was a change of 10 over 20. The last percent change was 50%. And you do a little statistics on it. The average percentage change in his petitions was 21%. His prayer was changing as he heard from God. He didn't pray the same chant or prayer day in, day out. He listened for God's response, and he adjusted his prayer accordingly. 
We should never pray. That's how come I, when I support people in the mission field, and we support a bunch of them, I says, keep me informed. I need to know what's happening so I can pray wisely for you. We have one fellow. I didn't introduce him to the Lord. He already knew the Lord when I was in college. Um, and he would pray. His prayers were long. Oh, long prayers. And when he would share the gospel, his presentation of the gospel would take him 20 minutes. I says, Frank, you can't do it that way. You've got to be sure. Now, with all of Frank's faults, he had one great positive. He loved people truly where they were and where they're at. He threw no stones. He loved them. And he went on the mission field in a Muslim country, Turkey, and they were very fruitful. Came back, still on crusade staff. Now he's involved in the prayer ministry of Bill and Jesus Bill. And so late last night, I got an email from him, and I had two of them from this week. He sent one earlier in the week in a lot of spiritual attack because he was trying to finish a project up for crusade on their prayer ministry. And he was being buffeted, and I know what that's like. And so I proceeded to pray for him, and then he sent me a message late last night, and so I was putting my response back to him. I'm still praying. I have not forgotten you. See, that's what prayer is. You drop everything, you focus on that need, move on. We gotta pray that way. One of the ways this passage really impacted me when I started college ministry, one of the things I told the Lord, I wanted to evangelize and disciple two or three men or women every year. That was my goal. I didn't want to come up to the throne here, well done, good, faithful servant, if I hadn't been faithful in doing that. And God has been very faithful to allow me to do that. And it's made my faith lively, even at my age of 76. I still want to do that. That's why I wrote the book on prayer. I want to teach people how to pray. I pulled everything on Tozer's work, put it together. Because most people don't know how to pray. God's character is the underpinning. God's promises are underpinning. I'm glad I'm on this side of the cross because I have the scriptures and the Holy Spirit. Abraham didn't have that. We should rejoice where God has placed us in our time. Well, let's look at some of the applications. I could have written a book on applications. We could have been here a couple hours. So all I did was put it on a few. And the first one we've already said, the character of God should always impact our prayers as well as the promises of God. Work on that. 
That's how come I like books that talk about the names of God. I like that because there are always ways to put that in a prayer to say, God, I'm thinking. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. I like that name. It all starts with God. Number two, the failure of Sarah's fleshly cultural option for a son was necessary to expose her and her husband's unbelief and move them to walking by faith alone 13 years later. It was necessary. God had to let them fail. So they would be open to the real promise of a son the right way. You know, there's a book, and I don't know if many of you have read it. I remember it from years ago. It was called God's Smuggler. You remember reading that book? There was a certain phrase that's always stuck with my wife and I. God's way is always the royal way. It is always the royal way. Not surrogates, not manipulation. It's the royal way. That's what God still wants. Number three just summarizes most of what we've said. Successful prayer needs the one praying to be humble before God, bold in doing God's will, persistent in praying, showing compassion towards others, entrapped in sin, and a serious student follower of God's word. Prayer is not a chant of the same words day in, day out. That is not prayer. We think we're going to be heard for our many words. That's not prayer. Prayer engages God. That's what it's about. Number four, truly thou art a God who hides himself. That is his option, not ours. When we hide, we lose. When he hides and we search for him, we gain. I didn't put that in there. That came up this morning. When he hides and we search for him, we win. We cannot afford to ignore the bondage of sin in today's culture. That bondage is real. It takes more than our testimony, which you're learning to work on, some of you are. It takes more than a presentation of a gospel. But it takes some apologetics. Now, as a statistics professor, what I have done, and it's a book I'm trying to find time to write. I'm not sure when I'm going to get to it. I've developed my own apologetics called statistical apologetics. I can teach any course in statistics and have a way to get the gospel in. Because everything in statistics is recorded in the scriptures. And I know where it is. And so over the years, first 10 years at UT, I had 2,000 students a year in class. 2,000 students a year heard my, the gospel or our testimony. And it was statistical apologetics. They have to have, as Ecclesiastes says, the words of wise men are like goads. They have to have the heart pricked to realize they're not where they need to be. And I would do that in class all the time. Some of those students come back to me. Sometimes I wouldn't hear from them from 10, 15 years later. You remember what you shared in the Lord? God, 
I can't believe I, I've waited this long to respond. I don't care. I sow. The results are in God's hand. They're not my results. I don't care. He gets the glory. He put me there. And that was one of the hardest things for me to do to retire because I was going to miss that opportunity of sharing the gospel. But I needed to move on. God had other things in store. And lastly, draw near to him. Draw near to him and pray until you pray. You know what that means? You keep praying about something until it's settled. You keep praying about it. We must linger before him and pray without ceasing, not letting busyness and cultural steal his voice. We cannot afford to miss our awesome God and fellowship with him. We've been through as a family some tough times. But boy, have we gotten to know God great. He's been with us through thick and thin. And he'll keep with us. So let's pray. Father, you're real. You're always present. You're always available. Your power is always open to us if we deal with our sin quickly. You always want your best for us, not necessarily our best, not the culture's best. We pray that we will always want your will. We pray that we will have hearts of compassion for the lost and hurting. We'll pray, as I remember a book I had in the seminary, True Evangelism is Praying for the Lost. May we move forward praying for the world we're in. In his name, amen.